Please turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 6, where we find the Lord's Prayer. I'd like to begin reading at verse 9, our text that we will be focusing on is verse 13. I'd like to begin reading at verse 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Verse 13, the petition that we are considering this morning is the sixth and final petition, and it comes rather naturally after the previous petition where we are asking the Lord to forgive us, to forgive our debts. Um, The previous petition concerns our asking for the forgiveness of our sins. We can think of that um, in terms of justification, the, the time when we first asked for the forgiveness of our sins and and by faith we're justified uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ, but there's also an ongoing, right, asking of forgiveness as we continue to sin. And this morning, the petition concerns our sanctification. It concerns our growing in holiness. And these two aspects of our lives, uh, as, as set out in the fifth and sixth petitions, really cannot be separated. It's not enough for us as Christians simply to have our sins forgiven again and again as we keep sinning. For what about our sinful nature from which all of this sin continues to spring forth? Our salvation is not complete if only the guilt of our sin is removed and nothing is done about the pollution of sin that yet remains in us. In other words, the previous petition was a request for deliverance from the guilt and condemnation of sin Now we ask deliverance from sin's power. We not only need to be forgiven, but we also need to be sanctified. We need to be purified. We need to have our sinful nature eradicated. Nor have we even really truly prayed the previous petition until we can pray the one that we are now considering this morning. Because true repentance is not just a matter of asking God to forgive our sins. What I'm getting at is God is is not pleased with just lip service. Just because you say the words, forgive us our debts, doesn't mean, doesn't guarantee that God has or will forgive you. True repentance is asking him to forgive you because in your heart, you hate your sin. You know that it displeases God. In other words, the truly repentant child of God, though he sins, he hates it. Do you hate your sin? And do you do everything you can to not fall into that same sin again? That is the the way of true repentance. And that is why after having prayed for the forgiveness of sins, we also pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There are really two parts to this petition. And these are really two sides to what is one petition. Some say there are two petitions here. Uh, which would, I guess, equate to two different sermons. But our catechism uh, teaches one petition here, and I would agree with that. I think really we have two parts in this petition, two sides of one coin, so to speak. 
uh, two sides to the one coin of our need for sanctification. And so the first part of this request is that we would never be put in situations where we find ourselves tempted to sin. This is the, the negative side. The more positive side is that finding ourselves in tempting situations that we would be preserved in holiness. But even beyond that, this, this prayer is a request that we would be delivered once and for all from this life of temptation and be led on to victory in heaven where we will no longer have to fight sin, but will be made perfect in holiness, perfectly sanctified. The first question that I think arises very, rather naturally in connection with this petition is, what does it mean to be tempted? What does it mean to pray to God and lead us not into temptation? Hope you can recall having studied at some point the, the book of James and remember how James says in the first chapter, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face various trials. And if you've studied that passage and if you've studied that word trials, you know that the Greek word translated trials can really be translated as trials or temptations. And it's a particular word that throughout the, the New Testament, is, is, it's that way that it can be translated um, as trial or temptation. And, and how it's translated really depends upon the context. For us as God's people, a situation which is a temptation is naturally also a trial, and a situation which is a trial can also prove to be a temptation. There are therefore, uh, these are therefore often hard to distinguish outwardly, and yet there is a great deal of difference between the two. For one thing, unbelievers are not tried. Uh, they don't really technically go through trials. Only you as believers are tried. Believers are not tried because a trial presupposes something good that is being put to the test and is being improved by the testing process. So gold, as it is subjected to fire, becomes more pure. And so inasmuch as we are God's workmanship, he tries us to demonstrate his power and grace in our lives as he uses our trials to improve us spiritually. But yet, and I'm sure this is true to your own experience, as you are tried, these circumstances can also prove to be a temptation. But as a trial of your faith can at the same time be a temptation for your sinful nature. For instance, perhaps you lose a loved one, that would be very naturally a trial of your faith. At the same time, it can also be a temptation. A temptation to respond to God in anger. Uh, a temptation to no longer trust him as you ought. But there is an even greater difference between a temptation and trial that has to do with aim and, and motive. The aim of a temptation, as it comes from the devil, is that you would give in to believing the lie that the way of sin and unfaithfulness to God is something desirable. The motive of a temptation is that you would fall into sin and destroy yourself and bring dishonor to God. The aim of a trial, on the other hand, as this difficult circumstance comes from God, is that you would grow in your faith and obedience and would be benefited, and that through it all, through, the, through all of your struggles, you would bring glory to God. Same circumstances in our lives are either a trial or temptation, depending upon our response to it. And so we pray, and lead us not into temptation. 
So what in particular does it mean, and this is probably the most difficult part of the text this morning, what does it mean when we say to God, and lead us not, lead us not into temptation? It seems to imply, does it not, that God tempts us? It seems to imply that God leads us into sin. And if we are asking the Lord to stop leading us into situations where we might sin, doesn't it then follow that God is ultimately responsible for whether or not we sin? Doesn't this then seem to imply that God is the cause of our sin? When answering these questions, we can say, first of all, that this, that this petition clearly does teach that nothing, including evil, is outside of God's control. We cannot escape the implications of this petition regarding God's sovereignty. If we, we pray this petition to God, and God has the ability to answer this prayer, as we believe he does, then he must be the one who leads us at times into temptation, which means that he is ultimately in control of even evil. And yet we need to make some very careful distinctions. For the first thought that arises is that if things are really like this, how can we, possible, how can we possibly escape the conclusion that God is the author of sin? Doesn't this make God the cause of our sin and therefore in some way responsible for our sin? Doesn't this then destroy God's holiness? We know from scripture that this notion that God is the cause or author of our sin cannot be regarded as true for even one split second. Scripture so clearly teaches against it. James tells us there in chapter 1, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God because God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he himself tempt anyone. God hates sin. His very nature does not allow him to delight in sin. So then how are we to understand this petition? What we mean is not that God actually tempts us, but he is in the absolute control of those situations into which we fall into temptation. He orders all of the circumstances of our lives, including those that are for us a temptation to sin, God leads us at times into temptations, not in the sense that he tempts us, but he does lead us into trying situations that can become the occasion for our sins. We must keep in mind that the only reason we ever give in to a temptation and fall into sin is because of our own sinfulness. The devil is the one who wants us to sin in order for us to destroy ourselves. And the only reason he can ever get us to go along with him is because of what we are inside by nature. We give in to temptation under the influence of the trinity of evil. Probably heard of the trinity of God. Perhaps you've never heard of the trinity of evil. It's, it's there in the catechism that we read earlier. The, I'm talking about three factors, three agencies that are, that, that are at work and, and they work together to bring us into temptation the world, the devil, our own sinful flesh. The world, the devil, and our own sinful flesh. Scripture talks about how the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He uses his demons against us. His desire is that in times of trial, we would give in and we would sin. And the world holds out to us many enticing things, trying to lead us into sin. And the devil in the world would have no means of getting to us, no means of being an influence on us into sin, except for our sinful flesh. It's because of our sinful flesh, because of our sin nature, that we are interested when the world holds out to us those things that appeal to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. We are receptive to the world. We are 
We are lured because of that pollution that yet remains in us. And so the world entices us by its pleasures and treasures, offering them to us if only we will forsake the way of truth and become unfaithful to the Lord. The fact is there are these constant temptations around us virtually every moment of every day. And as James tells us, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. It's our own sinful desires. It's our ability to be enticed that result in temptation. So we can never blame God for the fact that we are tempted. So then, how is it that God leads us into temptation? Well, first, as we have seen, he, when he guides our circumstances, which, because of our own depravity, become occasions for sin. And second, he leads us into temptation permissively when he does not constrain Satan. Sometimes God allows Satan to sift us like wheat. So then we might ask, well, why would God do this? Well, usually it's done in order to teach us a needed lesson. A.W. Pink, he wrote this. He says, most of us are so stupid and unbelieving that we learn only in the hard school of experience, and even its lessons have to be knocked into us, end quote. Perfect example of, in scripture of this and how God is sovereign in temptations and yet does not himself tempt anyone, is found in the life of Peter. Herman Hooksema puts it this way. He says, The apostle Peter was inclined to trust in self and to boast in his own strength, and the Lord warned him. But the more he was warned, the more loudly he boasted that he was ready to go with Jesus into prison and into death and that he would never be offended. And God prepared all the circumstances for Peter's temptation. He let him climb the full height of his self-confidence, in order then to expose his utter lack of strength by leading him into the trap of temptation when he denied his Lord, end quote. In the end, of course, this was used for Peter's good as a means of humbling him. And so the Lord tries us in order to reveal our weakness, to reveal the deep need that we have of his grace, to reveal our dependence upon him, and also in order to wake us up that we might be taught the need in our Christian life to be watchful, and prayerful so that we do not become slothful in standing up against the sin in our lives. We need to be reminded of the reality of our weakness and how if God takes away his grace from us for a moment, we will instantly fall into sin. And at times he puts us into certain circumstances and then purposely takes away his grace so that we will stumble and fall and come to see how weak we are by ourselves. So then what are we asking for in this petition? I think one of the things that we are asking is that the Lord would spare us from the need of being led into trials that can become the occasion of temptation. We ask the Lord that he would create in us such a hatred of sin, such a a turning away from sin, such a diligence in living a holy life that we don't need him to use drastic measures to teach us, like we find with the Apostle Peter. Yet from what all, all that has been said above, it should be clear that the primary idea of this request is not that God would take away all trials and, and temptations. That would be the same as asking the Lord to remove us from this world. Even Christ did not ask his Father for that on behalf of you, his people. Jesus prayed in John 17, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So then for what are we praying 
In the first part of this petition, we are praying that we would be spared from our trials becoming temptations. That in the situations we find ourselves, some of which have the potential to be a temptation, that we would not find ourselves falling into sin. We know that we are prone to sin, and so we pray that God would limit the intensity of the temptations that we face so that we would be able to stand against them, that he would give us the grace to stand strong against sin. Essentially, we need to be praying, Lord, let the trials of my life be only that, a trial and not a temptation, not an occasion for me to fall once again into sin. I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where he says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so I think when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we are claiming the promise of 1 Corinthians 10. We're asking that the Lord would enable us to bear up under our temptations and overcome them. But we're not only asking God to limit the intensity of our temptations, we're also asking that the Lord will change us uh, to, to such a degree that and this is a spiritual change that, that we are asking for, that situations which at one time were a temptation will no longer be a temptation for us. We're asking that the Lord will give us the spiritual ability to fight sin and come out of a tempting situation victorious. And yet, no matter how many victories we have, as long as we are in this world, we are going to fight, have to fight temptation because of our sinful nature which then brings us to the next part of this petition. Knowing that we are constantly tempted, we then ask the Lord to deliver us from evil. We ask that in the end, the Lord will give us the final victory over sin so that we will in the end be delivered from this constant battle with sin. There's some discussion among commentators as to whether the the text here should read, deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. And in a way, there's no real difference, for even if we take it as reading, deliver us from the evil one, which is uh, what most agree is the better reading, um, we already understand that the devil has no influence except from our own sinful nature within us. And so we ask to be delivered from all of the causes um, and, and, and all that that is related to, to sin in our lives. Deliver us from the devil. Deliver us from this world with its temptations. Most of all, deliver us from our own sinful nature. This petition clearly implies that even as Christians, we're not completely free from the influence of, devil, of the devil and of the power of our evil nature. But then what about the new nature that we have in Christ? Scripture says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There's the admonition that you reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we must not minimize the fact that there have been great changes that have resulted from your being born again by the Spirit of God. Because of your regeneration, Satan no longer has any lawful authority over you. That you are a new creature in Christ means that now you have a new spiritual center of life within you that is able to fight against temptation and sin where before you were in bondage to these things. 
Before Satan was your master, so that everything you did was sin. But now by God's grace, earned by Christ's death on the cross, you have been given tools to fight Satan. It doesn't mean that in this life you are going to become perfect. It doesn't mean that in this life the battle with Satan is going to be over. No, the spiritual change that you've experienced means that you've been given tools to fight Satan, to fight sin. Some people think that we can become perfect in this life. It seems that their thinking is that as the longer we live as Christians, the more we shed our old nature. It's, it's like our, our old nature is like a snake skin that's being shed. And consequently, they say it's possible in this life to one day finally get rid of that old skin once and for all. But the fact is, this sinful nature will remain with us until our dying day. And all we can do as Christians is become better at holding it down and resisting it. We can become better at knowing our weaknesses so that we can then fight against this, uh, our, our, our sinfulness uh, due to our weakness. We can learn how to head off sin at the pass. Because of this ongoing battle with sin, we gladly pray, deliver us from evil. We long for the day, do we not, when we will be delivered from our sinful nature, the day when we will no longer have to battle Satan and the world and our sinful nature. And that day, you understand, is the day that you will die or the day that the Lord returns. It's only when we die that our sinful nature is finally completely done away with, which is why death is really something of joy for the believer. This is one of the many blessings that Christ has earned for us on the cross. One day you will be delivered from evil. So what then does this petition presuppose in us if prayed properly? This petition presupposes, first of all, that we hate our sin. It presupposes that we've already asked for forgiveness from Christ and that we don't want to fall into sin anymore. It implies that we love God and that we do not want to see him dishonored by our continual giving in to temptation. And so we ask the Lord to spare us from temptations that would lead us to the dishonor of his name. This petition also presupposes that you are resolved to fight against your sinful nature in your battle against Satan and the temptations of this world. You see, it's hypocrisy to pray this prayer and then to trifle with sin or to recklessly rush into the place of temptation. Knowing that something is a temptation to you, it's not right to flirt with it. You're just asking for disaster. If a person is carrying with him flammable material, he does well to keep a distance from the fire. And so it is that God does not tempt us, but we often tempt God. We get as close as we can to sin. We let ourselves be tempted and, and instead of fleeing from sin we hang around until the temptation becomes so great that we give in god is displeased when you lead yourself into temptation and then ask for him to just negate the consequences afterwards the bible says you are to mortify your lusts you are to make no provision for the flesh you are to avoid every form of evil you are to resist the devil you are to refuse to love the world and the things in it and all out of a love for your Savior. What we are asking for in this prayer is that we would continue to grow in our ability to know our sinfulness in order that we may fight against it. Because you can't fight against an enemy that you don't know. And your greatest enemy is yourself. So work to know your own heart 
And the best way to do that is to look at your heart through the mirror of Scripture. And as you become conscious of your weakness, you will then turn to God for grace. When you know yourselves as you ought, you know that it's only through God's power that you are able to fight sin. You cannot fight sin. You cannot fight the devil on your own. No, you are utterly dependent upon God. And as long as you think you can fight on your own, you're going to meet with defeat, which is why we pray this prayer to God, why you must know your need of praying this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we know that God will answer this prayer because of the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not lead us into temptation to destroy us, but always for our ultimate good like it was in the life of Peter. This is because of Christ. This is because of the love of God, because uh, of the perfect salvation that's been earned by Christ. God is never going to allow evil to have complete dominion over you. There's no possibility as a true believer, if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, there's no way that God is going to allow you to totally and finally apostatize and lose your salvation. You've been... You who have been forgiven, you who have been justified by the Lord Jesus, by faith in him, are so loved by Christ that he would never allow you to come under the domination of sin to your destruction. If by faith you belong to Christ, then Christ's death and his resurrection were on your behalf. His perfect life, his atoning death, his resurrection are the basis for sinners like you and me having victory over sin. Trusting Christ, you must know that one day God is going to complete this work that he has begun within you, this this process of delivering you from evil. That's the promise of the gospel. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the victory over sin that you give us through him. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit regenerating us, giving us new hearts. And yet, Father, the remnants of our corrupt nature continue to cause us to sin, to give in to the enticements of the devil, the world, and even of our own sin nature. So, Father, we pray that you would lead us not into temptation, but that you would deliver us from evil, that the circumstances in our lives would not be ones that that result in sin, But, Father, that we would be able to stand by your grace strong against the temptations from without and from within. Father, may we glorify you in our thoughts, words, and deeds. Uh, Father, for you have redeemed us. You have saved us by your grace. We are thankful. And, uh, Father, it's not enough for us that you have forgiven the the guilt and, 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 and condemnation of sin. It's not enough that we are justified. Father, we desire to be fully set free from all of the sin that yet clings to us. Lord, sanctify us, we pray. And we thank you for how death is but a means to that sanctification, that death is nothing for us as believers to fear. It's it's the means by which we are delivered from this body of death and given new bodies and hearts that are utterly free from the corruption of sin. So, Father, we thank you for this hope that we have, and we pray that in the meantime you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.